Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Hi, good morning, everyone. So today's scripture is from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Thanks, Sarah. Well, I want to welcome you. Uh, I'm Pastor Pete, one of the pastors here. Pastor Josh is with his family uh, this weekend. Pastor Perry, as most of you know, is still home recovering from his motorcycle accident. But you're here, uh, and so glad that we can continue to be a church ohana together, move forward. Thank you to so many of you who have stepped in to the pukas uh, that there are appreciate that we can do this as a church family. I uh, got an encouraging word for you from Pastor Perry uh, this week. Uh, let's see. Let's scroll up. All right, there it is. All right, so from Pastor Perry, he says, Good morning. Happy Sunday. When will he return? That's a popular question around the church these days, whether if it refers to Pastor Perry or the return of Jesus. Two very different returns, but with the same answer. We're not sure. (laughs) 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Peter, when referring to the return of Jesus, wrote, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Notice the prayer part. Prayer is appropriate, necessary, and expected in whatever situation you and I face or are anticipating. We are a praying church. So please keep up your prayers in anticipation of Jesus' return and my return as well. You are continually in my prayers. Love, Pastor Perry. So Pastor Perry, thanks for sending us uh, your aloha, your love. We're praying for your return. Uh, Hopefully speedier than not. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Michelle. Hello, Michelle. So Michelle is wearing a lei today. You notice our, our bassist. Um, Michelle's been here since she was a, a teeny tiny little tot. Um, and this week, her and her family are moving to Wyoming. So Michelle, we're going to miss you, but thank you for loving Jesus. Thank you for loving the church. You can send us a picture September 12th when you guys get your first foot high snow and let us know how it's going. Uh, I'm going to give this to you, and uh, all right, would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, how we praise you. There are so many things we have to be thankful for. Jesus, we thank you for caring for us, and Lord, we, we lift our cares to you this morning. Thank you for the way that you've provided for our, our, our needs to be met with your sacrifice, all sufficient on the cross. Thank you for rescuing us from our own sin, for your forgiveness. And Lord, we do look, look ahead in hope uh, as you're coming again as the king on this earth. And Lord, we ask that we would uh, continue to make you king of our lives, uh, both individually as well as corporately at this church. And Lord, as we 
fall deeper in love with you as we experience your Holy Spirit in our lives more and more, that we would be men and women who shine your light with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our friends, um, with those walking down the street, with the cashiers at Safeway and Foodland and Times. Lord, that we would be a church that is known for loving you, for following your word. Lord, would you be with all those who aren't with us in person today, those who are joining with us online, would you bless them and minister to them, as well as those who have moved or gone to other churches or are at home sick today. We just ask that you would be with them, that you would encourage them, strengthen them, bless them, challenge them, comfort them. And Lord, would you speak through me through the power of your Holy Spirit, that myself, as well as my brothers and sisters here, that we'd be all changed by you today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was 11 o'clock and my alarm was going off, but it wasn't the 11 o'clock I wanted it to be. It was 11 o'clock p.m. and I had just woken up from my hour-long nap before headed into the group home where I worked the night shift. Now, if any of you have ever worked the night shift, maybe you can sympathize with me. That, that emotion that you experience if you take a little nap before your shift. And I was a little bit angry in this moment. So I, I stomp out of my house, go out my front door, I grab my helmet, put it on, hop on my road bike, and my trip starts with a mile-long uphill, followed by four more mile-long hills on my seven-mile bike ride up into the mountains of Kahalu. I was 27 at the time, living in Kanyoi uh, with my gorgeous wife, with our best friends, um, and I was working at a group home to utilize my degree in psychology, making $10.42 an hour. And inside of Liz's belly was baby Truett, and it was game time for soon-to-be daddy to provide for his young family, for his wife to stay at home in Hawaii. So making $10.42 an hour at the group home, I needed a second full-time job. So after I'd finished my shift, I'd ride down the mountain on my bike, hop into the bus on Kamehameha Highway, drive an hour or sit an hour on the bus to Kahala where I started my next job as an adventure guide. I'd get done about 5 o'clock, come home, repeat all over again six hours later. And even with these two full-time jobs, my bank account was getting smaller and smaller, and I was becoming more and more frustrated with life. One thing that I used to do a lot uh, before I had these two full-time jobs in my early 20s was I would walk around Kailua Town, and I'd bring sandwiches, I'd go sit down next to homeless people, get to know them, pray with them, try to encourage them. Uh, and at this point in my life, when I was 27, working the two full-time jobs, I began to easily see how I could become one of those men sitting down on the sidewalk with my own cart next to me. Life was not going according to plan. We're back in our series of Jonah. We've seen that, that there's a city full of bad guys, the Ninevites, 120,000 of them, wicked, evil, cruel, violent, murderous people, and God has to make a choice with what to do with them. Does he continue to let them live in their evil and do their evil things? Does God annihilate them and stop them from doing evil? Or does God rescue them from their evil? Well, to remind you what we've already seen in our series, God chooses the latter, and he chooses to rescue them. Our, our, 
uh, series started out in Jonah chapter 1. Just remind you of the first couple verses. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God has a plan to rescue the Ninevites, and he's going to use Jonah to do that because God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And Pastor Josh helped us discover that even though you and I don't always want the villain to be rescued, God always wants the villain to be rescued. And good thing, because you and I, our own experience tells us that we have all blown it. And many times, we have been the villain. Before Christ, we were all the villain. But as a good Awana uh, student, Romans 5.8, an Awana verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God wants to save you. He wants to save me and every other villain out there so much that he took on flesh, lived in this world with the challenges and struggles that we face, and then died a gruesome death because God has a plan, which is our first truth of our passage today. So if you've got your sermon outlines, if you're online, there's a PDF, they're by the door. First truth of today is God has a plan of grace. God has a plan of grace. And sometimes... God's plan looks different than your plan. Your plan was to be retired by now, but COVID-19 hits, and now it's 2021. You planned to be married to Mrs. Wright, but she didn't realize that you were Mr. Wright. You had planned to purchase a home, and then you got to Kailua and saw the price tag on a teardown. You had planned to grow old with your spouse, but that was taken from you. In the book of Proverbs, we're reminded, Proverbs 16, 9, that man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And God had a plan for Nineveh to rescue them, but Jonah's plan was different than God's plan. You see, Jonah wanted to condemn 120,000 men, women, and children to burn in the lake of fire for all eternity. So what happens when somebody like Jonah goes against God's plan. God has a plan. Somebody's going against it. What happens? Growing up, uh, it was great for me. On both sides of my family, I had a, a boy cousin who was my age. On the Kaiser side, my dad's side, I had Jerome, who many of you know. He's a longtime member here. Uh, we were best, best men at each other's weddings. And then on my mom's side, I had cousin John. And we were the same age. And Cousin John, I grew up in Iowa. He grew up in Chicago. So we were pretty close in distance. And one summer, uh, John's family came to Des Moines. And my family was taking us all out on a picnic. I must have been six. John was six and a half. And we went up to a picnic at Sailorville Lake. And for those of you that have ever been six, if you're a boy, you know how boring picnics are. But when you're at a lake and you see a dock, you know that the dock is the access point for all the fun on the lake. You go on a dock, you can get to the end of it, you can go on a boat, you can go fishing, you can splash your sister, you can jump off. If you're at a bay, you can watch the tide roll away. <sighs> That's how I felt. <laughs> the dock was where all the little boys want to go. And so me and Cousin John asked my dad, Dad, can we go out on the dock? We want to have some fun. We have a plan of what we want to do. But my dad said, yes, but... You have to follow my plan. You can't get wet. I'm like, okay. And, and my dad, to ensure his plan, said, I'm going to hold on to your hands, 
and you can go out on the stock, and I'll hold them gently as long as you're not trying to get away from me. But if you try to get away from me, I'm going to squeeze you really tight because my dad's plan, no matter what, would come to pass. And we didn't get wet that day. And my dad isn't God, but he taught me something about God that day. He taught me that nothing I do can stop my dad's plan when I'm six on a dock, and nothing I do can stop God's plan. Look at Proverbs, oh no, no, sorry, not Proverbs, Psalm, Psalm 33, 11. And sometimes you probably noticed uh, when I'm preaching, sometimes I just read through uh, verses, kind of just help keep things going. Sometimes we pause. Psalm 33, 11 is one that we're pausing in. So if you got your Bible app, you know how to highlight in your Bible app. If you got one of these and you got colored pencils or whatever, um, this is one that, that should have some sort of color on it. Psalm 33, 11 says this. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of the Lord stand forever. When you read the Old Testament for the first time, you're going to read some pretty gnarly stories. And you're going to say, what the heck is going on with this bear and these children? And you're going to be confused. I am too. It's okay. We'll figure it out together. But one of the stories that you'll read, it's pretty gnarly, I'm going to introduce you to today. I'm going to throw you into the middle of it. It's in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, one of the gnarly stories of the Old Testament that, that we've got to figure out. And, and this, uh, the story we're going to read is in the context of Psalm 33:11. The plans of the Lord stands forever. So the middle of the story, you have the nation of Israel. Everybody knows them, God's people. Israel had some kings, King David, King Solomon, you guys know them. But then they had a fight, civil war, they split. You got the northern kingdom of Israel, it's in the Samaria region. You have the southern kingdom of Judah, and it's in the Jerusalem region. Well, they have kings for a couple hundred years. The northern kingdom only has really wicked kings. And so after a couple hundred years of being patient, God has, has it with them. And he brings the great Assyrian army, the great Assyrian empire in, and he conquers the northern kingdom, exiles all the northern kingdom away into the Assyrian empire. Goodbye, northern kingdom, 722 BC. A couple years later, the king of Assyria goes, hey, that was fun. I want to go two for two with Israel. I'm going to go to the southern kingdom. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to conquer them, and I'm going to exile them, just like I did with their, their brothers in the north, just like I've done with hundreds of other nations around the world. And this is what happens when the king of Assyria tries to do that. 2 Kings 18, verses 28 through 35. So we're going to, read, going to read seven verses of this story. So an army has come up. Uh, the Assyrian army has brought 185,000 soldiers to Jerusalem. To give you an idea of how many people that is, the entire island of Hawaii, the big island, 186,000 people. So imagine the entire population of the big island coming to Kailua, which has a population of about 50,000. Divide Kailua in half, 25,000. That's what's going on right here. 25,000 was the estimated population of Jerusalem, and they have an army of 185,000 soldiers surrounding them. And the poor Jerusalem soldiers are standing on their walls at their battlements, looking out at this vast army, Lord of the Rings style, wondering what's going to happen. And this is what happens. 2 Kings 18, verse 28 through 35. Then Rabshakeh, he was a messenger of the king of Assyria, 
stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah, that's the, the king of Israel, or of Jerusalem, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me, and eat each of his vine and each of his fig tree, and drink each of the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. But don't listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria, that's the, the nation of Israel, from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? The king of Assyrians' plan was to conquer Jerusalem, and he had done so to a ton of other nations. Only this time, he was going against God's plan. In Psalm 33, 11, the plan of the Lord stands forever. So let's see what happens. We're going to go... End of the story, spoiler alert. You can read the story to your kids before bed tonight. They'll have nightmares. It'll be a great time for all. We're just going straight to the end. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 32 through 35. End of the story. What happens when the king of Assyria goes against God's plan? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to the city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he will return. He shall not come to the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. God had a plan to keep Jerusalem safe. The king of Assyria opposed him, and 185,000 soldiers lost their life because of it. Which brings us to our second truth today. God has a plan of grace that can't be stopped. God has a plan of grace that can't be stopped. In our story in Jonah, God has a plan to rescue the Ninevites, and not even a rebellious prophet who's fleeing from the presence of God, who tries to get himself drowned in the Mediterranean Sea to avoid joining in God's plan. Not even he can stop God's plan because Jonah 1.17, verse that Sarah read, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. The great fish of Jonah proves that God's grace is relentless and he can't be stopped. And so you have a choice to make. Are you going to join God's relentless grace willingly or are you going to find yourself in the belly of a fish? 
Having seen that nothing can stop God's plan, what part are you going to play in his plan? Everybody's going to play a part in God's story, and God is a gentleman. So he lets you choose what your part in his story will be. We're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 18. It's uh, just to the right of Kings. It's after Psalms, Proverbs, and you got some other books. you got Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And God is speaking to Jeremiah the prophet, kind of like an object lesson, helping him understand and helping you and I understand this relationship that God will let you choose what part he's going to play. Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 3. Let's just read that. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. You see, the, the potter had this wheel spinning, and he had this clay, and he was letting it go around, and he was shaping it into what he wanted it to be. And we go on in the story, we see that God is, is called the master potter, and we're, we see that Israel is the clay, and I think it's appropriate that we extend this, this object lesson and say we are also the clay, and God is our potter, and we are on this wheel of life, and God is shaping and molding how he wants into his plan, but something can happen. Look at verse 4. But the vessel that the potter was making of clay was spoiled in the, pot, in the hand of the potter. Now, the Hebrew word that's used for spoiled is shahat. Is that how you say it, Ray? Shahat? Close. All right, thanks. It's up there. That's how you say it. You read it from right to left. Um, shahat. And, and it's often translated spoiled or, or corrupted or become rotten. Something yucky has, has gone on on the inside of this clay, and now it's in the potter's hands, and he has a choice that he has to make. This morning, I, I started my coffee maker. I got the, the milk out of the fridge, and I go to pour it into the little frother because I have a purpose for this milk. My purpose is that there's tiny little bubbles at the top of my coffee so I can have foamy coffee. And the coffee actually worked this morning. The, the purpose of the milk came, came to pass. I had my frothy, frothy milk. It was great. But what would have happened had I forgot the jug of milk on the counter the day before? What would have happened to that milk? It would have spoiled. You've had this experience. And you're like, no, now I have to have black coffee. Who likes black coffee? <laughs> so I have a, okay, a couple of you. Lord bless you. Um, I have a choice to make with my jug of milk. What do I do with it? Do I throw it out? Or do I go on YouTube and type in, what do you do with spoiled milk? Well, I did the latter. And this guy named Marty made a video about what you can do with spoiled milk. And I asked his permission. And he said, yeah, you can show this. So this is what Marty recommends you do with spoiled milk. Check, check out this short video. Pour a gallon. You got some milk. They say organic, whatever you want. Just let it sit there. It's going to get a little spoiled. This is in two times speed, by the way. That's how I watch YouTube. Everybody's seen that milk in their coffee. Nobody likes that. Nice surprise for you. You heat it up. So you got the spoiled milk. You start heating it. And then uh, maybe this isn't the two times speed. This one's taking a little longer. That's all right. It, it starts getting harder. And then as the pot gets warmer, this is what happens to your spoiled milk. You're like, okay, it looks even grosser, but cool. Ah, oh, some cheese. Mmm, yummy. Everybody likes some, some spoiled milk cheese there. All right. We get rid of the water. Okay, I see what's happening here. I don't know where this is going. You take it out. All right, I've got some cheese going on. And voila, 
You got cottage cheese. You don't have to throw out your spoiled milk. You just repurpose it and you make cottage cheese. Put a little bit of salt on it. But notice what happens with the clay. Something happens with the clay. Let's, let's finish that verse, verse 4. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So the potter remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter. The clay became cottage cheese. But you don't want to be cottage cheese. So our third truth in your, in your outlines today is don't be cottage cheese. You can add that one in. It's not in there. But even if you go against God's plan, even if you're spoiled on the inside, God will still use you for his purpose. And in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul explains that in a little more graphic detail. And he says this in Romans chapter 9, verse 22 and 23. He says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. If you're spoiled, if you're corrupted, if there's something yucky inside of you, God will still use you. But you'll be shaped into a vessel prepared for wrath and destruction. And that doesn't sound fun to me. So whose plan are you following? Maybe you're not married. And you know God's plan for you for purity with your girlfriend. Are you following his plan or yours? Maybe you're sitting on the couch after work making your selection on Netflix. Whose plan is it going to be? Who's going to decide which show or which movie or which rating of show that you watch? Maybe you're retired. Your kids are out of the house. And for the first time in 30 years, your time is your own. Are you asking God to reveal his plan to you so you can use your remaining years following him. Or maybe it's not you who made the plan go wrong. Maybe it's your spouse who left you. Or maybe it's your kid who's rebelling. Or maybe it's your boss who looked over your promotion. Or maybe it's not that at all. Maybe you have a chronic disease, a debilitating chronic pain that you're experiencing or a loved one is experiencing and you can't live the life you thought you would live. But do you trust that God has a plan even for your suffering. Is your plan focused on not wearing masks? Is your plan focused on everybody getting vaccinated? Or is your plan bigger than that? And your plan is to love God and love your neighbors despite their COVID convictions. You see, Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God's ways are higher. So whose plan are you following? Jonah didn't follow God's plan. Jonah wanted to condemn them all to death and eternal torment. Shame on Jonah. He probably deserved to get drowned in that Mediterranean sea. But the word that changes everything, God had appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. And that Hebrew word appointed gives us the idea of like ordained, consecrated. This is why I made you fish was to swallow Jonah and keep him safe and bring him back to the land so he could have a second chance. And just for fun, 
I found a story of what that second chance might have looked like for Jonah. You see, even in that belly of a whale, even in his moment of greatest rebellion, Jonah still experienced the relentless grace of God. But sometimes God's relentless grace is a little bit tough on you. So in a, in a book I read, um, it, it gave an account uh, about what God's grace might have looked like in Jonah's life. So just for fun, we're going to look at it. Um, I'll just read it to you. It says, In the late 1800s, American newspapers began publishing the account of James Bartley, who was an English sailor who was swallowed by a gigantic rhinodon in the English Channel. The account stated that in an attempt to harpoon one of these monstrous sharks, this sailor fell overboard, and before he could be picked up, the shark, feeding, turned and engulfed him and disappeared. The entire fleet picked out to hunt the fish down, and 48 hours after, the fish was sighted and slain with a one-pound deck gun. The winches on the trawlers were too light to haul up the body of the mighty denizen of the deep, so they towed the carcass to the shore and opened it in order to give the body of their friend a proper Christian burial. However, when the shark was opened, they were amazed to find the man unconscious but alive. During his sojourn in the shark's stomach, Bartley's skin, were exposed to the action of gastric juice, underwent a striking change. His face, neck, and hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness, and he took on the appearance of parchment. Bartley affirms that he probably would have lived inside this house of flesh until he starved to death. Now, if you go and look up the story online, you're going to see all sorts of conspiracy theories about it. Who knows if it's true? But one thing I do know, if you spend three days in the belly of a fish, you will never be the same. But some of you have been there too. You've hit rock bottom, or you hit rock bottom before, and you have been in the belly of that fish with those gastric acids bleaching your skin and dissolving your hair and making you really, really stinky. But even in that suffering, God provides his relentless grace to you, and he gives you a second chance. Which brings us to our final truth today. God won't turn away from his plan, and he won't turn away from you. God won't turn away from his plan, and he won't turn away from you. You know, as a kid, I followed God's plan. I, I went to Awanas. I, I memorized all the verses. High school, I organized the Sea at the Pole rally. Any Sea at the Polers in here? Half? Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and that was me. And I wanted to be a missionary as a kid. I wanted to be a Christian camp director, so much so that I went to a private Christian college to prepare me for that path. And mom and dad, thank you for paying for that private Christian college. But something happened after my freshman year. I discovered rock climbing and adventuring and camping and hiking. And I loved it. And I started following that path. Now, I never went off the deep end, as unfortunately a lot of college kids do sometimes, but I went off what I call the peat end. And I started putting my own plans first in my life. And I continued doing that for about eight years until I was 27. And after eight years of doing that, Liz had our first uh, baby in her belly, and I found myself in the belly of a whale. And so a couple years after that experience, I, I wrote about my own Jonah experience sitting in the belly of a whale. Um, and I wrote it in my really nice journal. I have journals that don't look this nice, but this one's pretty fancy. 
Um, and I just wanted to share my own experience of, of being in the belly of a whale with you. I was 27 when I found myself hunched over, crying on the living room floor, a broken shell of a man who had gained the whole world but had lost his soul. I was living oceanfront with my gorgeous wife and best friends, working as an adventure guide and group home worker, yet felt as if my mind would collapse at any moment. I had lived eight years exactly how I wanted, doing jobs that I wanted, spending time and energy on things I wanted. I believed in meism and lived as my own God, and I was paying the price. While my life looked good on the outside, my mind and heart had become wicked and depraved. In the Lord's kindness, he humbled me with hard labor, Psalm 107, 12, as he did the Jews in Egypt. After four months of working 80 hours a week, God got my attention, and I took myself off the throne of my life and began to let Jesus reign in my life again. While my work situation didn't change for six more months, my heart and my mind did. Zach Sankovitz, who's a former member here, uh, invited me to his men's Bible study, and I started reading scripture again. And the Lord brought back peace and contentment to my life, and true, it was born to us at this time. You see, God didn't turn away from his plan, and he didn't turn away from me, and he won't turn away from you either. So would you surrender to his plan before you find yourself surrendered in the belly of a fish? Would you pray with me? And if you're here and you've never surrendered yourself to the Lord, I'd invite you to pray something like this. Say, Dear Jesus, I surrender. I know I've blown it. I've messed up. I've done things my own way. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I can have a new life with you. Please let me follow your plans, Lord Jesus. And Lord, the rest of us, we just ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that each day we would say yes to your plan. Lord, that we would be in your word, that we'd be in fellowship. And Lord, that our hearts would be submissive to you. Lord, that we would make those choices that are honoring and pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name, amen.